0: Welcome, everyone, to Couch Potato Diary as we continue with Fight Week here on the program. Thank you all for tuning in today. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKline, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show Diary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show today, the heavyweight championship of the world in the UFC will be decided this weekend with Jon Jones taking on Cyril Gone, a new era for the heavyweight division. So I think this is a good time to look at who the heavyweight goat is in the sport of mixed martial arts right now. We have a few contenders making their way for this debate. So I think it's going to be a a real interesting discussion today. And we'll close with today's ticket. So there's a, a lot going on on the show. As always, thank you so much for downloading and listening today. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about but might have fallen asleep for during history class. Or social studies, however you learn history in high school. Each week, we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need a to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! So yes, the UFC will once again have a heavyweight champion after Saturday night after Jon Jones faces Cyril Gahn for the heavyweight championship in a bout that I believe is to decide who is the second best heavyweight in the world next to Francis Ngannou. Um, going into a very weird time in the UFC. We don't know where Nganu is going to go. We don't know how John Jones is going to react at 265 pounds. This is going to be such an interesting weekend from a fight perspective. Yesterday we went over why it is a bit of a uncomfortable topic to, to discuss because of the prior transgressions of one John Jones. But... The title that he is going for has certainly been held by greats before. And so I think today it, it's time to really dive into the heavyweight goat conversation. I, I think we have four guys who can really stake their claim to it. Let's go. First, we, we went over this a couple of weeks ago with Fedor Emelianenko just coming off of his retirement bout to Ryan Bader. Um, at Bellator 290 as they fought out in Inglewood, California on CBS. Uh, so the the end of the career, we were able to go over the resume. but just again, some like his real big run goes from April 2001 all the way to November of 2009, basically, essentially June 2010, when he loses to Fabricio Verdum, um, that one coming in San Jose back at Strikeforce, Fader versus Verdum on, uh, I believe that one was just on Showtime at the time. Maybe that was a CBS one. Was that? No, nah, it was just a Showtime one. Anyway, um, not the point. the The point here being, he has, when you look at the longevity part of this discussion, there is absolutely no way Anyone is topping the run that Fedor Emelianenko had. When you look at some of the top wins in his career, um, you have Mark Coleman when that was still a big win. You have wins over Rodrigo Noguera for the Pride Heavyweight Championship. And again, do not let the lack of the UFC Championship being on his resume cloud the fact that this was the number one heavyweight of the time. The number one heavyweight division at that time, was the Pride Heavyweight division. You could you could make a fairly compelling argument that the three best heavyweights in the world at the time were all in the Pride Heavyweight uh, division with Fedor, with Big Nog, and with Mirko Krokop. So those are... And, of course, Yuji Nagato. Uh, <laughs> I guess that wasn't necessarily pride. That was Inoki Bumaye. But you you are looking at someone who reigned supreme over the golden age of the heavyweight division. When you, you look at what he was able to do. Again, multiple wins over Big Nog. He has a win over Kevin Randleman when that was a big deal. A win over Mark Coleman when that was a big deal. Uh, and a win over Mirko Krokop as well. And then... He does beat the two guys who were at the top of the heavyweight division at the time with Andre Arlovsky and Tim Sylvia. And this is where the Fedor legacy does get a little bit cloudy. And we'll actually see this with all the guys we're discussing today. It gets a little bit cloudy because a lot of the guys that Fedor beats, you can say, okay, well, that was the end of their relevancy. I think that there is, there can be anyway, a lot of... Um, I guess, retros- just kind of diminishing his what he was able to do in retrospect. Because, like, you look at the the names on here, Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman, but after 2004, there wasn't a whole lot relevant that either of those guys did. And so, because Fedor really put it on him, instead of, oh, wow, that is a great win over a dominant champion, you can also say, ah, those guys weren't that good at that time, and we just didn't know it yet. I, I tend to believe it is just Fedor was that much better than everyone in the heavyweight division that he was able to, to do that. It doesn't necessarily mean that those guys were bad or anything like that. So when you look at the the resume, the GOAT resume that Fedor was able to put up, there are some pretty incredible wins on, on this resume, specifically the Cro Cop one and the Noguera one. I think the next contender for the heavyweight GOAT is Cain Velasquez, and his real, like, okay, things are getting serious now run, I think it starts with a win over Czech Congo at UFC 99 in June of 2009, and then really his, I think, potential GOAT status only ends... After a three-year layoff when he loses to Francis Ngannou in 26 seconds in February of 2019, until then, like injuries really do start to take over. So you can make an argument that it really does end when he loses to Fabricio Verdum in Mexico City for the heavyweight championship. That was definitely a reminder that we shouldn't put um, heavyweight fights in Mexico City. With uh, the elevation issues that that were there. And so it's weird to kind of think of when the peak ends for Kane Velasquez, because you look at how the career wraps up two fights in 2013, none in 14, one in 15, one in 16, nothing in 17 and 18, and then one in 2019 before he ends up calling it a career. So it's, it's tricky to say, like, okay, longevity-wise, where where are we? But I, I do think it certainly starts with a win over Czech Congo at UFC 99 back in 2009. And then he is, like, he dominates Ben Rothwell to a win. It's a big win over um, Big Nog. But again, this is 2010 Big Nog, who is still formidable at that point. Like, I, I don't want to, to try to, again, diminish it because th- this is something we can do at heavyweight all the time because these guys are so big they can hang around for for so long um 2010 he is coming off of a win over randy couture he did lose to frank mir um who broke his arm but he had wins over like tim sylvia heath herring josh barnett there were some good wins on that resume before he Got into this title eliminator fight against Cain Velasquez, and then he does knock out Brendan Schaub after it. Uh, after that, and get a win over Dave Herman as well. So it's not a fully washed Big Nog that he fights, but the biggest win is certainly Brock Lesnar for the heavyweight championship at UFC 121. In Anaheim, California, where he gets knocked out of the night in 4 minutes and 12 seconds, permanently scarring the face of Brock Lesnar. And then there's the shocking loss. The first time the UFC is on Fox, the heavyweight title is on the line, and it ends in a minute 4 with Junior Dos Santos knocking him out. Velasquez gets right back on the horse beating Antonio Silva by knockout at 336 at UFC 146 and then he wins the title back by unanimous decision against Junior Dos Santos in two of the great heavyweight fights you will see. I think the great heavyweight trilogy in the history of this sport is Cain Velasquez against Junior Dos Santos and those fights I think permanently changed both fighters. Not just Kane Velasquez, not just Junior Dos Santos, who was on the losing end of both of those. I think physically, it permanently altered the, the course for both fighters' careers. And I think if those fights don't happen, it doesn't bolster the legacy of Kane Velasquez, but I think it took significant—like, I legitimately think it took seven years off of Kane Velasquez's career. You look at it now, Kane is just turning 40 now. In heavyweight, that is not old. He should still have been in the mix— For The last like he has fought we just went over it. He's fought three times in the last eight years. So when he's 32 years old, his consistent MMA run essentially ends that is mind boggling to wrap your head around. And so I think when you look at the potential of all of these guys, I think Cain Velasquez is the one who had the potential to reach the highest levels. I just don't think he quite got all the way there. He certainly is still there. He is in this conversation today. And obviously, I think deservedly so. I'm the one having it. But I I think those fights, the UFC 155 and UFC 166, permanently altered the course of Cain Velasquez's trajectory. But those were the clear two best heavyweights at the time. And Cain Velasquez is able to get a couple of big wins. I think the last one in the go conversation is Stipe Miocic. He does get a loss to uh, Junior Dos Santos by unanimous decision back in 2014, Um, but this run for him starts with a win over Roy Nelson in 2013 at UFC 161, and the run doesn't really end until he faces Francis Ngannou in 2021, um, because he bounces back after a loss to Daniel Cormier with back-to-back wins over DC to win and then defend the heavyweight championship. It's an impressive run that he goes on when you look at the big wins that he has. Like I said, a loss to Junior Dos Santos is in there, but he beats Roy Nelson, uh, Gabriel Gonzaga, Fabio Malinato, which are whatever. But then Fabricio Verdum to win the heavyweight championship in Brazil. He knocks out a still in his kind of prime, Alistair Overeem. Um, knocks out Junior Dos Santos, and then beats Francis Ngannou, who was a killer at the time. And at that point, he breaks the record for most consecutive UFC heavyweight title defenses, which is only three, but it's still something. And then you have the the trilogy with Daniel Cormier, which is, again, another great trilogy in UFC heavyweight history. And then he loses to Francis Ngannou, and that puts a wrap on on the run for Stipe, and he has not fought since March 21 of... Uh, or Sorry, March 27 of 2021. It's... It's one of the best resumes in heavyweight... MMA, um, in the UFC, anyway, I shouldn't say heavyweight MMA, in UFC heavyweight history, it's one of the great resumes, because of the consistent title defenses, it's big names that he has beaten, and again, you can make the argument on all of them, that is a post-Apex Alistair Overeem, it is a post-Apex Junior Dos Santos, it is a post-Apex Fabrizio Verdum, it is a post-Apex Andre Arlovsky, but Arlovsky was on the come-up and was making a bit of a, a comeback, Fabrizio Verdum was still the heavyweight champion at the time, and then he is fighting legitimate title contenders. It's so, so, so interesting when you look at, um, when you look at the, the, these three resumes kind of stacked up a little bit because longevity wise, I think you can make the case for Fedor Emelianenko. I think for like the, the quality of opponents, and that sort of a thing, you can make a case for Stipe, and for talent, I think you can make a case for Kane Velasquez. It's so it's so interesting to do the back and forth on all of these guys right now, but I think those things that I, I just meant listed off, the longevity, the quality of opponents, and the talent for what we saw, uh, again, I think Kane Velasquez had the potential to get to this point, and I think if the JDS fights don't take so much out of him, I think he is number one in this conversation actually with a bullet. Like, I even with all due respect to Fedor Armelianenko, I don't think it is close. But I think when you look at the talent, you look at the longevity, and you look at the quality of the opponents, I really still think you make the case, and the check mark goes for all three boxes to Fedor Emelianenko. And it's been nice that we have had this kind of reminder of how great Fedor's career was over the last couple of months, going over things, getting ready for his retirement bout. And I think it's very fitting that you have the the last emperor finally bow out with his last fight as we go into what is a new era in heavyweight mixed martial arts. So, who is the current GOAT? Because Fedor Emelianenko, I think I've established here, is still the greatest heavyweight of all time. But who is the best heavyweight right now? Taking a look, I, I think you have two contenders. It is Francis Ngannou and it's Ryan Bader. Uh, one is still the heavyweight champion in Bellator. One should still be the heavyweight champion in the UFC. For Ryan Bader, it's a bit tricky to just go through the resume because there's a lot of light heavyweight fights in here where he has lost. Um, but most recently, like he has beat Fedor. He has beat uh, Czech Congo. Those are heavyweight bouts. Um, He unified the heavyweight title with Valentin Moldovsky at Bellator 273 in Phoenix. Then you have a bit of time where he still dabbled in the light heavyweight division, where he lost to Vadim Nemkov, beat Lyoto Machida, but then lost to Corey Anderson. And then the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix, where he wins the vacant Bellator Heavyweight Championship, he beats uh, Mola Wall, he beats Matt Mitrione, and he beats Fedor Emelianenko, to get to that point. All big names and all impressive victories, but this is one where it is very clearly all basically post apex, with the exception of Moldovski, who is still kind of on the come up. Like that there isn't, there isn't one, I think, real prime win in there, regardless of what we think about Fedor and being able to, to beat him twice. For Francis and Ganu, you have like it really starts with the Andrei Arlovsky just Pez Dispenser, wha bam. But even before that, like he beats Curtis Blades, who is consistently in the top 10 in the heavyweight division and right around the top five. Then you have a couple of fights that are just like, whatever, guys are a cannon fodder. Then you have the Alistair Overeem knockout, which gets him a heavyweight championship bout. He loses to Stipe. That clearly fucked him up because he then loses to Derek Lewis in the worst fight in heavyweight history, in UFC history, which is saying something. But then he goes on this run. He beats Curtis Blades again. He beats Cain Velasquez, who certainly post-Apex. Same thing with Junior Dos Santos, but a win over Jarzinho Rosenstruck when people were saying, oh, Rosenstruck is the, the more the more crisp, the more technical fighter, he'll be able to, wham, knock him out in 30 seconds. Then he beats Stipe, and then he beats Cyril Gon to unify the heavyweight championships, and I, I think really stake his claim. Like, to me, there is not another current heavyweight resume that is close to what Francis Ngannou has done. And I don't think there is going to be one for some time, and there is going to be a very... Interesting discussion, depending on where Francis goes next, whether it's boxing, whether it's Ryzen, whether it's um, in the the Bellator cage, if it's PFL, wherever he goes, for a while he will be carrying the mantle of the top heavyweight in the world, and it's going to take a lot for either John Jones or Cyril Ghosn to be able to knock him off of that post. So, the heavyweight division... It gets a little more cloudy, which is very fitting considering the history of the heavyweight title. All right, that is it for our look at the heavyweight goats. When we come back, it is time for today's ticket. Some of the music on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Alright, looking at today's ticket, um, nothing from the, nothing else from the UFC card is really jumping out at us. So we are going to go back to the NHL and the NBA after a one for three night last night, looking to bounce back here tonight. Another big one between the Detroit Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators, um, I kind of like the value here of Detroit. They they just lost to the Sens. This game is in De- uh, is in Ottawa now, but Detroit had their backup goalie in for that last game. I think we go Detroit here. Uh, Detroit getting plus money at plus one ten um, over at Bet ninety nine. So we are going to roll with that one. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning taking on the Florida Panthers. I like Tampa Bay minus a goal. And, ah, you know what. Let's just stay away from that one. We'll stay away from that one. Um, It's tempting, but that one is certainly going to be a uh, stay away. Columbus taking on the Buffalo Sabres. I like the over in that game. Over six and a half. It's a little high, but Buffalo and Columbus both don't play a whole lot of defense. So we're going to go the over in that game. You know what? I think Buffalo wins that one pretty big. So we're going to go Buffalo minus a goal and a half. Um, I've been burned by Buffalo minus a goal and a half a couple of times. This is going to be the last time we trust them in that particular spot. Islanders against the Wild, good game. There's a couple, again, like big games. Like Jets against the Kings, big game. Should be a lot of fun. Boston against Calgary is a big game for the Flames. Really, really. Boston minus a goal and a half is plus 205 right now. A cool bet. I cannot pass up that value. Flames are not playing good hockey right now. And Boston is the best team in the National Hockey League. So we are going to roll with that one. Uh, Moving on to the hard court, as they say, in the NBA. It is a full night. Are Tuesdays normally this busy in the NBA? Um, That is a busy, busy night in the National Basketball Association. Uh, We already have a pretty full ticket hockey-wise. I'm a little... It's going to have to really jump out at me for for me to want to go with the the basketball schedule this evening. Ah, The only one that's really catching my eye is Milwaukee taking on the Brooklyn Nets at minus six and a half. So we're going to go with that one. We'll go with uh, the Bucks minus six and a half. So it's a big card tonight on today's ticket. We have at Betway the Milwaukee Bucks minus six and a half over the Brooklyn Nets. And we have the Buffalo Sabres and the Columbus Blue Jackets at over six and a half at Betway. Um, at Cool Bet, we have the Boston Bruins minus a goal and a half over the Calgary Flames, as well as the Buffalo Sabres minus a goal and a half over the Columbus Blue Jackets. In a bet 99, we have the Detroit Red Wings to just win straight up against the Ottawa Senators. We will hit track, and that is today's ticket. And that is today's show. Thank you all so much for downloading and listening you can, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Those things really do help podcasts grow and get the visibility out there. So, thank you so much for doing that. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetime PK, and you can email the show, Couch Potato Diary at yahoo.com. That's going to do it for the show. We come back tomorrow with NFL or sorry NHL Power Rankings and a look at the legacy of Valentina Shevchenko as she gets ready for another title defense this weekend at UFC 285 against Alexa Grosso. Thank you also much for tuning in. Talk to y'all tomorrow. I'm out.